The uh, readings tonight are from, um, firstly, the Old Testament Isaiah and, secondly, the New Testament Luke. Both can be found um, in the what we call the zine, which you would have been given as you came in on page six. So the first reading from Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And the second reading from uh, Luke 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will have to come to you to say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all, alike, began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me, 
Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Roman. Hey, um, thanks for those who did a turnaround today. You went to the AGM and that was two and a half hours. Some of you are thinking, gee, I'm glad I didn't go to that. But, <laughs> but to me, it was um, just an, a study in uh, you know, appropriate dialogue, governance, uh, good question asking, uh, comments. Would that be fair to say Malcolm was there, Tiffany, a few others? Yeah, I thought it was terrific. And um, so, yeah, well, I'll tell you more about that in just a few moments' time. Uh, because of the AGM, today's a simple service uh, and a simple text today, um, so a simple message, although profound, really, from Jesus, not from me, from Jesus. And I want you to follow with me. I'm going to make this real simple as I go through the text and then draw three conclusions. Uh, so if you turn to page six, you'll see that what I'm saying is from the Bible and not something I made up. Uh, of course, you can get a Bible at the end of the pew if you like, but certainly on your orders of service, you can sit on page six and an outline on page eight if you're following along with that. Shall I pray? Let me pray. Father, you made this promise in Holy Scripture long ago that the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. Jesus said that a banquet is being prepared. You prepared this banquet through your son, Jesus Christ, and for your son, Jesus Christ. May we hear tonight, in the power of your Holy Spirit, may we hear your invitation, and receive it and accept it, uh, to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Luke 14, verse 16, on page 7, middle of page 7, Luke 14, verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And then Jesus tells the story about a banquet and invitations that go to a banquet and those invitations are rejected and then the uh, man preparing the banquet compels the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame and the people in the highways and the byways to come in for he says, I want my house to be filled. So Jesus likens the kingdom of God to a banquet. I myself like to imagine a great, big, outdoor, Mediterranean, long tables banquet. That's my preference right there. Don't know if it's true, but I like to think of Jesus' parable in this way. Anglican bishop from the 19th century, J.C. Ryle, opened his reflection on this passage with these words. He said, a man prepared a great banquet and invited many guests. That's what Jesus says. Ryle said, this is the gospel. You want to know what Christianity is, what it is about? Well, it's this. A man prepared a great banquet and invited many guests. This is the gospel. 
Jesus came to bring the good news of the kingdom of God, which is all that God has prepared for this world and for those who love and trust him. And as far as Jesus was concerned, the kingdom of God was likened, among other things, to a banquet. And so it's all about grace. Those who've been invited to the banquet have not prepared it, they've not set the table, they've not cooked the fare, they haven't even brought with them the obligatory Australian bottle of wine. It's a Shiraz, isn't it? Isn't it? Every time. They are simply invited to join at and in the generosity of the host. The grace, then, is unconditioned. It's given without regard to the worth of the person receiving it. We'll see that today. So the invitation really tonight is to come and receive that which you've not earned. The certain man in Jesus' story is God, and God is good. If you're looking for a path into the Christian message, a way in to faith, then this, this is it. The gospel is an invitation to a banquet. I'm going to explore that in a few moments' time. If you want to know what Christianity is, don't think first of rules, don't think of strict people trying to stop others from having fun, don't think of political posturing, don't think of halos or chapel services or prayer books, don't think of Christians arguing about theology, think instead of a great ultimate end times banquet, what Jesus says will happen at the resurrection, we'll talk about that in a moment. This great ultimate end times banquet is infinitely better than any banquet you've ever tasted. Long tables, maybe, good food, amazing music, the most extraordinary, the most divine of hosts. And of course, a joyful celebration. This is what we have to look forward to. But it's not always perceived this way. Some of you heard this story. Um, back 25 years, uh, I travelled with a friend from Moore College. We were both studying to be ministers at the Anglican Training College here in Sydney. And we went to Tasmania, hired a car and drove around the island. It's back in the day when it was safe to pick up hitchhikers or to hitchhike yourself. Actually, that's not true. It wasn't safe then either. However, we did pick up these two German hitchhikers. Daniel from Berlin, are you here today? Online. Uh, their, their names were Grisha and Oli. I'll never forget their names. He was a medic, an ambulance driver in Stuttgart, I think. Anyway, we had a fun half day or day driving around the island, telling stories, and really we laughed a lot, the four of us laughed a lot. And after a while, they didn't know what we did, so they said, what do you do? And we said, actually, we're Christians and we're training to be Anglican ministers where we're going to teach the Bible and introduce people to Jesus. And there was a silence in the back seat. They got talking amongst themselves in German. We didn't know what they were saying. And after a while, we interrupted them and said, you know, what are you talking about? And she said, Grisha said, I'll never forget it. She said, in my country, uh, people who study theology, she said, I could feel her saying it, people who study theology are, she went like this, they are conflicted, sad, anxious. <laughs> and we're like, no, the kingdom of God. A certain man who prepared a banquet, invited many guests. It is a celebration, 
Amen. We'll do, deal with the text first in Luke 14, and then I'll conclude with some challenges. Firstly, this whole text that Bronwyn read a moment ago takes place at a meal, verse 1, one Sabbath, that's important, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched, they don't like him. Remember, this is the crowd that will eventually have him killed. But you still have to jump in the shoes of a Pharisee, um, a Pharisee, an expert in the law, they are the good guys, or at least the apparent good guys. They were chief keepers of the religious structures and with it the social norms, and this one here is a prominent one, a prominent Pharisee. At that meal, Jesus does awkward. He offers various challenges in verses 1 through 14. The first challenge is to the um, hardness of the heart of the Pharisees who believed that on the Sabbath day, that Saturday, sun up to sundown, you couldn't work, and work for them meant you couldn't, for example, heal. I don't know how they wrote that down or where it came from. But Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. In verse 2, the man is described as having abnormal swelling, and Jesus knows what he's about to do, but he says to the Pharisees and experts in the law, verse 3, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they had a law that said it wasn't lawful. And so they remained silent because they know where this is going. And uh, Jesus took hold of the man, verse 4, healed him and sent him on his way. It's a miracle. And then he asked them in verse 5, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Of course you pull out the ox. Of course you save the child. So why do you have this structure that doesn't allow me to heal this man with abnormal swelling on the Sabbath day? Pharisees were challenged, verse 6. We know that because they had nothing to say. Second story. He gives counsel then on where to sit when you enter a banquet as opposed to giving one. And his answer is, take the lowest place. He's like, come on. You arrive at a party, if you angle for the highest place... It looks bad, it's presumptuous, and, you know, angling is what people do in life to move upwards. And he says, bottom line is, somebody who comes into the party who angles at a higher place, you know, the host might say, actually, they belong there, and then turf you out to sit somewhere, find a spot somewhere at the back of the, of the, of the party, of the banquet. Instead, Jesus says it's wise to take the lowest place, to choose the place of humility, because if you choose the humble place, the host will see you. They'll notice your heart, and they'll invite you up. But this, of course, is not just where you sit at a banquet. It could be about that, but really it's about how you approach God. Verse 11, for those who exalt themselves, who angle up, will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. They'll be lifted up. Third, in verses 12 to 14, Jesus gives counsel to those who host a banquet as opposed to those who go to a banquet. He says, when you host a banquet, it's a very similar message, don't invite all the people who can repay you back, the ones who help you to climb the social ladder, they're angling too, don't invite people to help you to angle higher, um, but instead, verse 13, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, in other words, all those people that are being helped throughout Luke's Gospel, if you're reading through Luke and Lent and you're putting a red cross, as we said, against all the people who need help. Invite those people, and Jesus says, you will be blessed. How? You're blessed, Jesus says, because you're 
not worried about getting something back. And that's because you believe in a beautiful and dangerous idea called the resurrection. And belief in the resurrection will change how you angle in this life because the thing you really want, the thing you really need, is yet to come and only God can give it. The acceptance you crave comes from God at the end, not from anybody that you want approval from in this life. And it comes at the ultimate banquet. The reason you can invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, even, if they, even though they give you nothing back, is because of verse 14, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Wow! Amazing. Because you believe in a resurrection, you don't have to secure your place at the table. Because God will give it to you in His time, the resurrection. In fact, so amazing is this comment in verse 14 about being repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So amazing that one of the guests blurts out in verse 15, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. That guest is at the meal where Jesus is talking about meals and he mentions the ultimate banquet at the end of the time and he's challenged by all the words of Jesus and so he says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Boom, correct, totally correct. But if he's hoping that Jesus was going to take the pressure off, he's wrong because he then tells a story about a bunch of middle-class people who are too busy to accept the beautiful thing that God has to offer. Jesus replied to that man, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. This is the gospel. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Jesus knows Isaiah 25, that the promise of God is a preparation of a great end times banquet where death itself is defeated. He's been preparing that for that a long time, maybe since before the creation of the world, and certainly promised in the prophet Isaiah, amongst other places. And in verse 17, at the time, the banquet sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything is now ready. Maybe he's referring to his presence amongst them now. Now is the time when that prophecy in Isaiah 25 will be fulfilled. Now is the time when God, who is preparing a great banquet, is inviting people to join it. But in the story, all the people who are like us, really, um, you know, the people who are sort of good a lot of the time, or the people who perceive themselves to be moral, or certainly middle class, busy, with business, and perhaps religiously inclined, they all decline the invite. Somebody else will accept the invite. They decline the invite. Verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. And those excuses are perfectly reasonable. The first one said, I've just bought a field. You say, well, so what? You bought a field, so what? Investment, so what? Well, the answer is I must go and see it. Right? I've got to actually look and see if the investment is worth it. You don't want to invest in something and, go and not go and check it out. So please excuse me, he declines the invitation of the man preparing a great banquet. Another one said, verse 19, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, right? I've just bought myself a new car. He says, well, so what? And the answer is, well, I've got to go and kick the tires. I've got to go and figure out if the oxen are worth it. I'm on my way to try them out. So he declines the invitation. Verse 20 is fascinating. Look at it. Still another said, I've just got married. And you could say, well, so what? 
There's no reason given for why marriage is a good enough excuse. Don't you find that fascinating? I think it's still true now, by the way. I bought a field, I've got to go and check it out. I bought five yoke and oxen, I've got to go and kick the tires. I just got married. Oh, well. Oh, well. Of course you have a reason. For some reason or another, marriage does not even need a reason. So I can't come to clients the invitation. Business, interests, property, domestic arrangements. All, by the way, very important in life. Jesus is doing something really interesting here. He's choosing things that aren't wrong. But the people who are refusing the invite are not prioritizing the banquet that is being offered. They're saying they have something as a higher priority. And a certain man who, who prepared the banquet and sent out the invite says, you know what, you treat my banquet like nothing, I'll invite the nothings. Or I'll go further, they treat my table like the gutter, they won't come, I'll bring the gutters of the table. Which, by the way, is the story of Luke's Gospel. And maybe verse 21 is the story of Luke's Gospel. Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the disabled, the blind and the lame, all those people that are helped in Luke's Gospel, the lowest of the low. They go out and bring in the riffraff and there's still room and the man says, go out of the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I want a full banquet. I take it verse 22 refers to the Gentiles, like you and me, who have no hope in the world. By the way, note that we, Gentiles, are invited after the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame of Israel. Got tickets on yourself? Take the tickets off. And there it is, the chapter and the stories that Jesus told there at that party. Profoundly awkward, superbly challenging and brilliant as always. We are in the fifth week in a Lent series, Grace in the Life of Jesus and Luke's Gospel. And I've listed on your orders of service on page eight, seven reasons why the Gospel is likened to a banquet. And I'll just go through them very quickly. Firstly, banquets are celebrations and so is the Gospel. A celebration of the future that God has prepared, a celebration of grace, of the lost being found. That's next week. The gospel is a celebration. The gospel is also an invitation, like the invitation to a banquet. Christianity is not first about obeying rules so that you can be acceptable at the banquet. It's about simply saying yes. Have you accepted the invitation or made excuses for not turning up? Thirdly, banquets and the gospel in the end is about intimacy. Did you notice in all the stories Jesus tells, the host knows ones who are invited. A good party may have many people, but you will still know the host. So it is with true of God at the resurrection on the last day. Fourth, a banquet is necessarily about community. That's what it is, right? More people gathered. That's what a banquet is. In that recent, more recent Muppets movie, they got that song, I'm having a me party and I know why she does it. But you know, it doesn't work in the end. God invites us together. And I love how he invites the blind, the poor, and the lame. I find myself at the table with people I don't like. But it's about community. It's also about culture. Meals then changed communities. And you know that because the Pharisees, the experts of the law, were worried that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and Pharisees. In other words, 
by eating with them, who appeared to be approving of their lifestyle, and that was going to be destabilizing for society. We must get Jesus. Jesus, of course, wasn't just doing the classic embrace. He wanted transformation. He wanted to see their lives changed. But he knew that it would happen first by sharing a meal with the worst kind of people. Sixth, it is foretold in Isaiah 25, among other places. There's a slide you were looking at before. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. You're a foodie? If you can close your eyes and stop treating this life as the only one that there is, and if you look down at the food that you love and could imagine yourself denying yourself that food if God required it of you, you need to know that the future that God has prepared is the best thing ever, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, God will destroy the sheet that covers all nations, that is death itself. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord Almighty will wipe away the tears from all their faces. This is presumably where Jesus gets the idea of a banquet from. Lastly, it's all about mission. You want people to say yes to this invite. You want your family, your friends to be present at the table. You want them blessed to eat at the feast at the kingdom of God. Here's the truth. You notice the passage has an end times banquet that you're invited to here tonight, but it has implications for the banquets you have in this life. Um, there's life at the end, the destruction of death, the wiping away of tears, and a banquet of aged wine and the finest of meats. But it changes how you do life now, how you open your home and your heart now. I do wonder whether hospitality is one of the lost Christian arts. A mentor of mine once said, you know, you can change the world by having people over for dinner. One pastor wrote these words, at base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, Washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation, providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's Spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness is its real worth. Romans 12, Paul writes, practice hospitality. The writer of Hebrews, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Why? Because you might be entertaining an angel without knowing it. I mean, no one quite knows what that means, except if you're tempted to treat a stranger with contempt, be very careful. 1 Peter 4, offer, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos speak, and they invited Apollos to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Jesus himself changed the world with one last supper. What would it look like for us to find this lost missional art again? Three challenges from the passage. One, it's God's banquet, not yours, and he wants it full. I tell you the truth, you don't accept the invitation tonight, someone else gets your place at the table. That's what Jesus is basically saying. 
There are two ways to view this banquet. Clearly, Jesus is saying that there is a banquet at the end of time when Christ returns. At the resurrection, Jesus says, at the renewal of all things, he says elsewhere. I yearn for the shroud of death over the world to be ultimately taken away. I want the life that God has offered now in this life and in the one to come. I want that moment when God will wipe away every tear from my eyes. It's God's banquet and it's in the future. But we feast now on the grace of God by faith. God is inviting us to his party and therefore, by the way, you come on his terms. That's the whole point, right? Um, the terms are, come, the food is ready now. I'm sorry, I've got to look at the investments. I'm sorry, I've got five yoke of oxen. Sorry, I just got married. He is the one who invites you and he's inviting you tonight. You want to say yes tonight. And he's the one that invites you up in the party as you take the lowest seat, as you humble yourself in your sin and say, I don't deserve it. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's God's banquet, not yours. Second, you'll need an invite. And there's one here right for you tonight. And I would love to pray with you after this service if you'd like to accept the invite. And uh, Tiffany, I'm sure, would like to join me, perhaps up the back, where we can pray with you if you'd like to accept the invite. Jesus said, come, for everything is now ready. Now is the day of salvation. And in case you were wondering, Jesus is your invite. It's the wedding supper of the Lamb. And Jesus secured the invite by himself taking the lowest place, becoming the poor, the blind, the lame, by dying for us on the cross that we might be lifted, exalted, even in our humility, lifted in Christ and in his resurrection. This is so good. Let go of all the excuses. Give them up even tonight. I can't come to the banquet because of the busyness of life, the business of life. Those two words, are they related? It's one consonant that separates them, but they're so related. Business and busyness. Are you too busy too many things to, that are important to you, newly married, and you say, well, I, I'm going to put it off. Don't put it off. We prize those things, and they are good in and of themselves, but they are not ultimates, and people will trade things that are not ultimate for th a thing that is. People will say no to God, and yes to their business, yes to their possessions, yes to their desires for marriage or otherwise. Third, the banquet will change us and shape us like grace. Grace transforms. This banquet will transform your life. I'm the recipient of an invitation to a banquet, not because I'm good, but rather because the master told his servant, go and get anyone who'll say yes. And those who say no, Jesus says in verse 24, it's tragic. Not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. And if I get the invite, undeserving as I am, well, I want to invite other people to the table, not to socially climb, but because I want to know others to know that God is good. You know when you get an invitation that says, you know, uh, Malcolm plus one, and Malcolm has to decide who he's going to take. <laughs> I want you all to think in missional terms about Justin plus one, Victoria plus one, Bronwyn plus one, meaning... Who is, not many who is my partner or my husband or wife or 
potential partner? I mean, who is the friend? Who's the plus one? Who's the family member? Who's the colleague? Who's the homeless person? We've got a city care lunch coming whom I can introduce to the one who can invite them to the banquet. I want to say to as many people as I can, come, come and be a part of this beautiful thing that God has prepared. Come and be my plus one. American theologian, philosopher and pastor Francis Schaeffer wrote this. He said, you don't have to start with a big program. Don't suddenly think you can add to your church budget and begin. Start personally and start in your home if that's possible for you. I dare you, I dare you in the name of Jesus Christ to do what I'm going to suggest. Begin by opening your home for community. You don't need a big program. You don't have to convince your session or your board or your newly elected parish council. All you have to do is open your home and begin. And there is no place in God's world where there are no people who will come and share a home as long as it's a real home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise of this end times banquet, this moment in the future of joy and community and intimacy and pleasure. We know that you have good things prepared for those who love you and tonight we say yes. Tonight we say yes to the invitation of Jesus Christ. Tonight we say no to all the excuses. We say no to all the business and business, no to the understandable reasons that hold us back. We will be held back no, no longer saying yes to the invitation we have from you. We want that to transform our lives, no longer angling, no longer trying to succeed or win, but simply being humble before Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, that we might be exalted by him, change and transform our lives for Christ's sake. Amen.